Well, hello, and welcome back to the Dangerous Creatives Podcast. I'm so excited today. We have our friendly legal um, lawyer here who's going to help us ask some questions, uh, answer some questions about the legal things that we definitely need in our business, especially if you're a photographer or creative and you're like, what are the things that I really need to make sure that I have my back um, on the legal side of my business? I'm so excited to have Kiff here today or Kiffany Staley. Um, so if you can introduce yourself really fast, we would love to hear more about you. Yeah, so I'm Tiffany Staley. I'm your friendly legal eagle, um, helping add ease to the legalese of running your creative business. Um, and I've been a licensed attorney since 2011, um, exclusively helping creatives. I'm licensed in California, so day to day I'm in the trenches doing the hard work of doing it. And then I take what I learn and move it over to the education side of my business um, and share the stories with you guys. Um, and since 2020, I've been living in my RV full-time with my pup Ozzy and we've been puttering around the western United States this winter we're in the Phoenix area of Arizona um, we try to just chase that 60 to 70 degree temperature year-round so that it's always gorgeous outside <laughs> oh my gosh that's amazing I mean, not only do I want to talk to you about these legal must-dos, but I'm also, I love this, that you're, we have some clients that also live in a van or live in an RV, and I'm like, that is just such a beautiful choice to get to go where you're excited and uh, be creative in the way that you're building your business too. So that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. And it, you know, like it aligns, you know, that you know, living small, doing things smartly, doing all of that. Like that's how I try to live my life and run my business. And so it just kind of the more you can simplify everything in your life to fit around your values, the easier it is to do day to day life. So, yeah. hundred percent. Okay. How, but how does the legal stuff fit into that? Because I know for me, and I'm sure for a lot of creatives, we are going to pretend like legal stuff does not exist because that feels complicated and doesn't feel simple. Does it, why is it important that we even pay attention to this stuff? So it's important because, you know, if you want to build a thriving business, we have to care about all aspects of our business. We have to do the things that don't come easy to us. Like for me, what doesn't come easy is the marketing side of things. I have to market my business. I have to show up on podcasts like this and have fun conversations. And so it's all about what I try to do is find the ways that are fun and enjoyable. Find the easiest path. Um, and so that's what I try to do when it comes to teaching you guys about the law. What's the like, you don't need to know that 50 exceptions that I need to know. You need to know the general concept so that you can be like, okay, I think this fits in here. I'm feeling good going down this path. When it gets trickier, I'm just going to pass it off to the expert. Um, and so my goal is just to give you that 80-20 that so that you can know 80% of the time I'm covered in this 20% of the time, I'm going to pass it off to somebody else um, so that you can have ease and focus on those things you enjoy. What I enjoy is tackling your crazy legal problems. Um, what you enjoy is maybe shooting <laughs> photography or doing, you know, whatever it is, the thing that you love doing for your customers or clients. Um, and then, you know, we, we accept the bookkeeping or the marketing or the other aspects of the business that we don't love the legal side, um, because we want to build thriving creative businesses and we have to think about them holistically. Totally agree so much. Well, I'm so glad to have you here to shed a little light on 
some ways to make our life more simple and uh, what some of those things are that we need to focus on. So today we're talking five main things that we really need to be some must-do legal tasks. Um, what's one of those first ones for you that we should be making sure we got covered? Mm-hmm. So these what are like what I like to call the enough legal tasks. Um, once you have these done, you have enough legal stuff done. You don't have to do more unless it really helps you accomplish a new product or service or offering for your clients. So once you have these done, you can kind of pretend that the legal stuff doesn't exist so much anymore. Um, The first one is making sure you're the right legal type. Um, And um, this isn't a like, it would be nice if I could give you a like formula or a like, if, if this, then that, like if this, then you become an LLC. If that, then you become an LLC. Um, but it doesn't really totally work that way. Um, we all start our businesses as either sole proprietorships or partnerships. Sole proprietorship, you automatically become as soon as you start offering your products or services, if you're doing it by yourself. If you're doing it with one or more friends or partners, then you're automatically a partnership. Um, to become an LLC or a corporation, you have to f- proactively file things with your state. Um, And so when you decide that it makes sense to go ahead and do that, um, goes back to my wildlife biology days. So um, I was a wildlife (laughs) biologist before I was a lawyer, um, which is why I love this lifestyle is because for 10 years, I got to putter around the Sierra Nevadas, um, counting animals and getting, we can talk some other day about the day I got tracked by a mountain lion or the day I had to hike five miles out on a broken ankle. Um, but this story is related to um, my experience working um, in Yosemite on the bear crew. Um, so our national parks are filled with bears and Yosemite in particular has a lot of bears who have learned humans are dumb and leave food everywhere. (laughs) Um, And there's a large overlap between how smart bears are and how dumb humans are. And so um, bears learn that humans equal food. And so our job was to scare bears off campgrounds. So we would work at night. We would travel around the park. And when there was a sighting of a bear, we would go and be like, hey, Bertha, good to see you tonight. You need to move along. You can't have this food. Um, So I'm super comfortable with bears. Oh my gosh. What a fun job. (laughs) Yes, it was. It was a really fun job. Um, I was in my early 20s. I was living in Yosemite. It was it was a lot of fun. Um, But uh, the only time bears scare me is when I see a mama bear and cubs and I am somewhere in between them, or I see cubs and I can't see the mom, um, or I see a mom acting like she's got cubs and I don't know where those cubs are. Um, and that's because mama bears will fight to the death to protect their cubs. Um, and so, you know, it's time to become an LLC or a corporation, but most likely 99% of the time an LLC, um, when there are things in your personal life that you would fight to the death to protect. Mm. So what an LLC is going to do is put a fence up between your business life and your personal life and make it so that each thing stays siloed on its own side of the fence. And so if you've got things in your personal life, maybe the house you're raising your family in, maybe you've got a large savings account that you're using, um, you've got those things that it would make you sick at night to know that they were at risk if something went wrong in your business, then that's when it's time to put up that fence. Um, And so that's the big 
kind of way that I teach people to know is just like that intuitiveness. What in my personal life would I feel sick if I put at risk for myself or my family if something went wrong in my business? Um, and that's why I can't give you a formula because what people have and what people's comfortability with risk are totally all over the map. And so, you know, I, as someone who, you know, because I'm a lawyer, I have like have all this list of like, these are the 5 million things that could go wrong. Like my comfort level with risk is lower than somebody else. Um, and someone who's single and at the beginning of their, you know, in their early 20s, isn't going to have the same kind of assets. And so they're like, oh, yeah, I don't really have anything. But someone, you know, older with some kids and has a house like that might make them a little nervous. Um, and so that's kind of how we decide um, how to pick the right legal type for your business. I love that. I love that. We do, after a few years in business, we get people asking like, is it worth switching from an LLC to a corporation? Do you have any thoughts there of like when it's time to be an S corp versus an LLC? Or yeah. If that matters. So Yes. So this is the big myth to dispel. An S-Corp is not a legal business type. An S-Corp is an IRS-only designation. All it does is change how you file your taxes. So both LLCs and corporations can tell the IRS, I want you to treat my business like an S-Corp. And the reason you do that is because it allows you to pay yourself as an employee of your business. So when you um, are a business owner, especially as an LLC owner, what you pay yourself is tax at the self-employment tax rate, regardless of if you call it an owner's draw, whether you call it a salary, whether no matter what you call it, it's still taxed at that same rate. If you take your LLC and tell the IRS, file the form to say, treat my LLC like an S-corp, you're allowed to pay yourself as an employee of your business. So you issue yourself a paycheck every whatever's required by your state laws every two weeks, twice a month, once a month, whatever that is. And then you, um, just like when you were an employee, have taxes taken out of your paycheck and you would issue yourself a W-2 at the end of the year. So... What happens is a certain amount of taxes is taken out of your paycheck, but the employer um, also pays a portion of the taxes. And there comes an income point when when you add those two together, it's still lower than the self-employment tax rate. Um, so the only person who can say switching to an S-corp makes sense is your tax accountant. If you're a tax accountant says... It's going to save you money to make this switch, even though it comes with a lot of, it comes with a expensive IRS form that you have to file every year. It comes with the costs of running payroll, all of those kinds of things. Even when you add those costs up together, you're still going to have some tax savings. That's when you make that switch. You don't make that switch until your accountant is like, this is going to save you some money. And then if your accountant says, you got to create a corporation to do it, you say, no, accountant, you're wrong. Tiffany told me I could be an LLC. I want to be an LLC instead. Um, and that's what you're going to do. I love so that. I have, I was an LLC taxed as an S corp for when I lived in California. Now I'm in my RV. I'm not anymore. Um, and most of my I have many clients who are LLCs, Texas S-Corps. It is not an issue whatsoever. That is so good to know and not something that I knew before. Okay, so it really is just an income thing. When you hit that certain point, it becomes a lot more important. It's totally a tax thing. It's 
only has to do with April 15th and how much you pay the IRS. Makes so much sense. Yep. Okay. So moving on to number two, are there some permits and licenses? Like what are some of the other things that we need to be thinking about that are must do legal tasks for our business? Yeah. So um, even if you run an online only business, um, say you're somebody who, like me, you live in a van or you live in an RV and you're selling the photographs that you take of beautiful places. You're not necessarily working with clients. Maybe you've got, you know, you're doing some influencer content or some sponsored content, um, but mostly you're an online only business. Um, Even then, you probably need a business license. Um, So pretty much everybody is going to need a business license. It doesn't matter if you're online only um, the city or county that you're based in is going to say, we want you to have a business license. Um, So the hard thing is how business license works, who needs one, what the form's called, what the form costs, what all of that, since it's determined on a city and county basis, it is all over the map. Um, You know, like I've worked with people in my community that in their area, it's a one-time $20 payment. I've worked with people like in San Francisco that that's based on the amount of revenue you bring in in your business and you you know and the kind of business you're running. Different kinds of business have different tax rates and it's based on a percentage of your revenue no matter what. So it's all over the map how it's done. Um, what I often recommend is calling your chamber of commerce, calling the SBA, or even calling city hall and saying, I'm thinking of starting a photography business. What permits and licenses do you need me to have? Um, and they're really helpful in helping find all those things out. Um, and so that, that business license is the most common one that 90, I would say 98% of us are going to need. So that's the big one. Totally. Now that you're on the road, do you have a certain county? Yeah. So those of us who are remote livers, um, you still have a residence. You still have a state that you're a resident of. So I'm a resident of the state of Utah um, and I um, have a place that, you know, my driver's license is associated with, my voter's registration, my um, truck and trailer are licensed, you know, as as of that address. Um, and so I have a business license for that city. Um, and then um, and then I have my LLC registered in the state of Utah. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. I know you were about to mention some other permits that we might not even be aware of. Like, what are some other examples of permits we might have to get? Yeah. So if you've got a studio in your home, then you probably need a home occupancy permit. Um, if you sell like prints or albums directly. If you like have an e-commerce shop, then you're going to need to deal with sales tax, which is a whole, we could do a whole hour on the sales tax alone. Um, Sales tax got way more complicated a few years ago after Wayfair. It is now a head banging um, matrix of minefields of problems. Um, But not only now do you need to comply with sales tax in your state, but potentially in all 50 U.S. states. Um, So it it gets really complicated. Um, But for you, like, local wedding photographers, you're set because most of your couples are just in your state. And if you're selling albums and prints directly to them, then you would need a sales tax certificate. If you've got like a drop shipper or a, you know, 
a site that they're ordering them through, then they're going to collect it for you. And that makes life really easy. Can I ask a quick question about... Of course. But a, a question for people maybe that are working with people in multiple states. Is that one of those times you should get a, an accountant or someone, a tax lawyer to help help you figure out how to do sales tax in multiple states? Or do you have any tips there? Yeah. So there's... There's some great resources. Um, TaxJar is now a Stripe company, and they've got some really great resources on when you hit um, the thresholds. Um, so the kind of the short answer is you need to collect sales tax in anywhere you have a physical presence or in anywhere that you um, have enough of an economic nexus with the state. And that usually ranges around a hundred sales to that state or a hundred thousand dollars of dollar value of sales to that state. Um, so if you just have one or two clients in the state of New York, probably not going to need to comply. Um, but if, you know, you are somebody who, you know, sits really close to a state border and you do half your weddings in New York and half in New Jersey, then you're probably going to have to comply with the laws of both states. Totally. Thank you. That was super helpful. Um, anything else on this number two that we need to think about? Yeah, so I would say the last one is the doing business as fictitious business name, assumed name, or trade name. All four mean the exact same thing. And it's just giving your business a legal nickname. And so all it's doing is saying, um, you know, when I first started the Artist JD, it was not an LLC. And so I was Kiffany Staley doing business as the Artist JD. Um, and so I needed to tell my county that if someone says they have a problem with the Artist JD, this is the legally responsible person behind it. Um, and so if you're a sole proprietorship, um, you would need it if your name is not in your business name. So if it's, you know, Kristen Sweeting, studio, then you're not going to need a DBA. Um, if it's Sweeting and Co., um, then that implies multiple business owners. And so we're going to need a DBA to know who those and Co. are. Is it her sisters? Is it her cousin? Is it somebody with a different last name? Um, so we would need a DBA then. Um, and then if you know, so if your legal name's not included, if you imply there's multiple owners and all of their names aren't included, or if you're an LLC and your LLC name is not the same as your business name, which happens often because we've got, you know, maybe multiple brands or businesses under the same LLC. So we've got our photography business and then we've got our how to teach photographers to run a photography business. And obviously we want separate branding and all of that kind of stuff for those but we both run both of those through the same LLC. So one of those, we would want the LLC name to match one of them. And then the other one we would get a DBA for. Um, so much sense. So yeah. So those are the most common permits and licenses. Amazing. Okay. Let's move on to number three, which I'm excited to talk about too, um, which is getting your financial house in order. And oh my gosh, I can't wait to dive into this one. Tell us what we need to do. <laughs> Yes. So these are tasks that um, you wouldn't assume are legal tasks, um, but they are super important um, because A, they're depending upon your business, something you're going to have to legally do at a certain point in time. Um, but it also is 
um, one of those things that can help you understand how your business is running. You know, all of this, again, is about finding ease in our businesses. And um, so doing some of these things is going to help that. Um, the first is getting an EIN. And an EIN is kind of misappropriately named because it's an employee or identification number. But really, it's just your business's social security number. Um, you don't have to have employees to get this number. Um, it takes literally five minutes to get it from the IRS. It's totally free and you get it instantly. Um, so the danger Will Robinson moment I always like to talk about when I do this is if you Google get EIN, you're going to have a sponsored post that pops up right on top that says get your EIN instantly for $24.99. Do not fall for that trap. Just go to the IRS's website and at the very end, there's going to be the option for them to mail you a letter or to um, give you the PDF of the letter instantly. And you're going to pick the PDF option and then boom, instantly you've got your EIN. Um, and oftentimes when I teach this workshop, as I start to talk about um, business bank accounts, um, people will live do it and they will tell me by the time I'm done talking about bank accounts that they have their EIN. Um, so it is really a very simple process. And if you don't have one, you should just go out and get one. Totally. Um, and then the second one is a business bank account. With a business bank account, we have a ton of people that will be reading, they'll be, um, they'll be running their businesses for a long time before they even set it up. And it really doesn't have to be such a huge task. I think people get overwhelmed thinking about doing it, but check it off your list, separate your money from your personal money. It's so worth it. We'd love to hear more of your thoughts on this too. Yeah. So again, we're separating them out, A, because it helps us understand um, what what our business is making. You know, like we, it's really hard to know if our business is profitable or not, if it's all mixed with our personal finances. Um, so that is, um, you know, good practice, no matter who you are. Um, if you are an LLC or a corporation, it is a legal requirement that the businesses that the LLC or corporation's money is in a bank account in its own name. So if you are an LLC or a corporation and you don't have a business bank account, that is like number one, do not pass go, hit pause on this episode, go to a site like um, nerd wallet and look for free online banking and open your account right now and then come back and finish the episode. Um, because it is that critical. Um, and like I said, there are, you know, nerd wallet. I mean, the bank I use is Novo. It's an online free business banking account. There are a lot now. It doesn't have to cost you money. Yes. If you go to your local bank, they might charge you, but there are plenty of online banks that you can get it for free. Um, connect Stripe, connect PayPal, connect Etsy, connect Shopify, whatever it is, Square, whatever it is you use, and the money will just automatically start coming in there. Amazing. Um, okay, so we are on to number four. What's our number fourth must-do legal task? So again, this is an, like a legal-ish task, and that is thinking about business liability insurance. Um, and this is super important for those of you who have a lot of equipment for your businesses. Um, you photographers who have all this fancy camera equipment and lenses and studio lighting and all of that kind of stuff. Um, often we think that our maybe our homeowner's insurance or our renter's insurance is going to cover that. But 
most policies either are going to have a total exclusion or a cap on that to say, we'll only cover $1,000 worth of stuff. Um, and so it's really important that you make sure you have insurance that's going to cover those. Um, and you can sometimes get that by getting a writer on your renters or homeowners insurance policies to cover that equipment. Um, and sometimes you would want um, a separate policy. So good. I know when I finally got that, that was super helpful and what was such a um, was such a load off my mind, you know, to just know that all of it was going to be covered if we were traveling or if something happened. It was Most definitely. So good. Yeah. Um, yeah. And again, it's one of those things that, you know, you probably were surprised how little it costs. It's not usually something that is, you know, tens of thousands of dollars, you know, like most policies are probably going to be less than a thousand dollars a year. And so it's an easy peace of mind um, in order to not have to replace all of that. Uh, a lot of the liability insurance too, especially for if you're a wedding photographer or you're operating, like you have to go and do something at a venue. A lot of times they'll want you to be, to have the insurance policy to put them on their rider. Could you speak to that at all? Yeah. Yeah. So oftentimes they'll um, make you add them as an additional insured. Um, and so the contract when you, um, when the, the couple signs the contract with the venue, the venue is going to say all of your um, contractors, everybody you're bringing in, whether it's the catering, whether it's the DJ, whether it's your photographer or videographer or the florist or whatever, has X insurance and will add us as an additional insured. Um, and so that's if, you know, something goes wrong, that um, your insurance gets kicked in um, and that you have that. Um, and so oftentimes that is a requirement of the venue contracts for sure. Yes, totally. Okay. And then what's our fifth one that we need to make sure we do legal tasks for our business? Yes. So this one's my favorite um, and it's the least favorite of most creatives. And so we're going to figure out a way to spin it on its head. Um, and that's simple contracts. Um, and contracts get a really bad rap because they're often seen as something that like you're lording over those you work with or you're trying to get the upper hand or you're trying to get one over on somebody and get away with something. Um, but I want you to start thinking about contracts as a gift. They're a gift you give to those you work with um, because you don't want to unintentionally disappoint your clients. Um, you want really smooth working relationships and a contract is going to help you do that by getting everybody on the same page, by literally getting everybody on the same page. You know, if you're working with a first time couple, um, they've maybe never hired a photographer before, especially at this level. You know, maybe they hired someone for a family portrait or maybe they hired someone for a holiday card or something, but that's a very different kind of um, expectation, um, both um, on their side and on your side. Um, and so, you know, a contract is a present you give them. That's their first wedding present um, by saying this in order for us to get the photos you've bought from me because you saw the output on my website of really successful events. And for us to get to that point, we need all of these things to happen. Um, and so it's not that you're trying to um, not to get screwed over. It's not that you're trying to put one out so, in case you don't get paid. It's there so that you can be the professional and say, I want to create beautiful memories, you know, 
memories of your event for you, ways that you can go back in time for the next 50 years and remember your wedding day. And how we're going to get the photos that you really want is by following this process. And that's all your contract is doing for them. That's so good. And what really counts as a contract? Yeah, so a contract can be a series of email exchanges. A contract can be something that you print out. And when you have that initial conversation with them, they sign it. It can be something that is a PDF that is exchanged. You can use HoneyBook or whatever um, platform you use for invoicing to send it. Um, A contract really only needs three things to be valid. It needs an offer. It needs acceptance of the exact offer, and it needs a promise to exchange things of value. So it needs to be, um, I will do um, a one-hour photo shoot um, to do headshots for you. Um, The output will be an online gallery with a minimum of 100 photos, and the price point will be $750. person comes back and says, can I get two outfit changes in that? And then that's not an exact offer because we didn't have that in ours. And so you reply and say, yes, we can, in an hour, I can do two outfit changes, no problem. So then you've got acceptance of the exact offer. They're promising to pay you $750. You're promising to show up for the one hour photo shoot. We've got a valid contract. Um, The reason we like these things in writing Um, is because going back to our making sure we're not unintentionally disappointing, making sure we're on the same page. When we have those verbal conversations, we have no record of it. Um, And so often what I tell people is if you have a call with a client where things are discussed, what you just do is send a bullet point of like, great talking with you today. Our call today said that X, Y, and Z, this bulleted list is what's going to happen. Hit reply if you, and say yes if you agree that that's what we discussed. They hit reply and say yes. Guess what? We have the offer with all the bulleted items of this is what's going to happen. We have the acceptance of the exact offer because they hit reply and say yes. Those two emails now are a valid contract I can enforce in court. Wow. Doesn't have to be 20 pages long. It doesn't have to be out of control. Um, that's all you really need. That is so interesting. Um, okay, so even just a verbal agreement of what you discussed still counts as a contract. So yes, so I mean there are there are a handful of times that a contract must be in writing to be valid. Um, you know when things can't happen for a year, um, the contracts for land can't be um, the the. Um, the it's my legs is the law school mnemonic that you learn to remember these things, marriage contracts, year or more land, um, things relating to estates, um, goods for more than $500, um, and surety contracts promising to pay something on someone else's behalf. That's my law school mnemonic. 15 years later, I still have it in my brain. Um, But um, those contracts all have to be in writing. But again, that verbal, what we're doing for that oral, we just had a Zoom call, is we're following it up with that email. We're turning it into a written contract. We're turning it into, this is what we discussed. This is what's going to happen. Hit reply and say yes. My reply and say yes now is a valid written contract. Oh my gosh. Well, that clears up a lot too. And I think... um, takes a little bit of weight off too of like, did I make that contract official enough? Like, 
all of the things. So that is so interesting and such a good piece of information to have. Yeah. And obviously, like, there's a reason, you know, contracts get longer. Um, And there's a reason, you know, for bigger deals, for bigger events, for bigger, you know, you know, we think about, you know, as a lawyer, we think about things like, when do emotions get high? When is there a risk for big loss financially? And when is there a big legal liability? Like, that's the times that contracts get longer. Um, And so, you know, someone who does a wedding contract might have a longer contract than someone who just does headshots. Um, Because again, all of a sudden, we've got the emotions that are going to come into this. And, you know, as as everyone who's associated with the wedding industry knows, sometimes one person in a couple gets a little heightened and um, <laughs> it can lead to some situations that we didn't didn't want. And sometimes it's not even someone in the couple. Like I had a pro I had an issue several years ago with a client who the wedding got called off because the the groom was not faithful to the bride. And she found out a couple weeks before the wedding. And it was actually her stepdad who was like the bully in the situation of like, he was trying to do whatever he could to solve the problem for the bride. And so he made the wedding photographer's life very miserable for a few months while we tried to figure out what the refund situation was going to look like, even though our contract said there was no refund because the stepdad was felt really bad for his stepdaughter. Um, so, you know, it, it can be people outside of the couple as well, but um, it, you know, weddings, wedding, you wedding people, I don't understand how you do it. I just, no. <laughs> it's good to have things in writing. That's all I can say. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And if certain situations, you know, like I always tell clients, like I create a book, we won't swear so that you don't get um, explicit for the episode, but it's my I'll never do again book. Um, and it's was given to me um, when I very first started my practice by a friend who runs a tattoo parlor. And he was given one of these books when he first started, when he bought the tattoo parlor from the previous owner. And in it, you write down all the things you'll never do again in your business, all the lessons you've learned, all the mistakes you've made, all of those kinds of things, so that you can read through them later um, and spot patterns and see different things like that. And so if you have situations that come up over and over again in your business, then you need to proactively address them in your contract. You need to say, okay, we don't want to have X situation happen again. How can we predetermine how we're going to handle that so it doesn't escalate to something bad? Um, And so, you know, your contract can also, not only is it there to protect you, but it can say, if this thing happens, here's how we're going to handle it. That's so good. That's so good. And there's definitely things that I add to my contract every year because of things I never thought could happen. (laughs) But they happen. And you don't. (laughs) Yep. Yes. That's going to go in the contract. Oh my goodness. We could have a whole, we could have a whole other, um, like, after after dinner show like a uh, after <laughs> dinner show version, of the, the late night version bad of this podcast. 
Yes, the bad situations that have happened to people over the years. Yes. I would have to like write out all the all the how are we changing the names before we started though, so that we could make yeah. sure we don't, you know, get people in trouble. But yes. Redact all the names. <laughs> yes. Um, okay, well, those were so helpful, those five must do legal tasks. Um I know you also offer services to creatives. Like, when do we need to hire you, Tiffany? Like, when is it past what we can do? And, like, what's that next level of legal work? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that having, after you've been in business for a couple of years, you really have a style, way of working with people. You've really nailed down your products. I think having an attorney look over your contract, um, you know, because one of the benefits of, hiring somebody is like, not only do I know your bad situations that have happened, I know at this point, thousands of wedding photographers and all the bad situations that have happened at their events. And so we can, you know, help you spot things that you might not, you know, might just not have ever happened to you before, or you might not be thinking about. Um, and so I think once you've been in business for a couple of years, you really feel like you've got, you know, your way of working, what offerings you're doing, all of that kind of thing. Then I think it's worth having an attorney look over your contract, make sure, you know, sometimes when I read contracts, I can tell they've been Frankenstein and combined together and two clauses actually contradict each other. And you've never realized that these two clauses that six and 12 actually say the complete opposite thing. Um, and so having somebody just a fresh set of eyes, look it over um, and kind of do that is can be really helpful. Um, totally. I think that um, if you're going to create an LLC with multiple owners, um, then I think it's a good idea to have an attorney um, as part of that process just to help you think through scenarios. Um, how are we going to handle things if somebody wants to leave? How are we going to handle things if we want to bring somebody else on? All of those kinds of things. Like It's helpful, again, to have someone who's seen this play out in thousands of businesses and how how are we going to make sure that we're not tripping over ourselves or making things harder than they need to be. Um, so yeah, I would say those are the two big ones um, that, you know, gonna, gonna go on. Um, if you're someone more on the, you know, you create a lot of content for clients, then having, um, you know, how we're going to deal with the IP, making sure you understand that and all of those kinds of things. Um, if you're doing a lot of sponsored content, then having, how are we going to handle those relationships? Um, what clauses should I be looking for when the client sends over the contract? Making sure you understand those kinds of things. Um, all is really helpful. Licensing, um, you know, I would say, you know, I, I review a lot of illustration contracts um, just because illustrators want to do their work and be busy and they don't want to read the long 15 page contracts that come through for every job. So I'm just on retainer to read them all for them. That's so good. Yeah. I think uh, photographers, if you're doing stuff besides weddings too, there's a whole world of licensing that you need to make sure Almost you have definitely. a good contract for as well. Yeah. 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 And understanding, like if you're working with, you know, certain stock agencies, you know, you can just have a half an hour consult with an attorney and say, I'm thinking about working with this stock agency. What do I need to be worried about in their contract? What else, the photos I submit to them, what else can I do with them? Um, and most of us who do this regularly will just 
I know what their contract looks like off the top of my head. I've read it 20 times. Um, and so I can be like, you need to be concerned about A, B, C, and D for that company. Um, and, and so, yeah, so, um, those are all helpful things to do. Um, but like I said, like, these are the bare minimum legal tasks. These are enough. Like if you get these things done, um, then you have enough done to focus on what is my offerings going to be nailing that down, nailing the marketing, nailing delivering service to your clients so that you grow your businesses. Um, I would say the other thing that might crop up is if you're going to start getting into second shooters, um, then that's a good time again to have a conversation with an attorney to understand employee versus independent contractor lines, um, what you can have them do and what you can't have them do without crossing over into it, understanding your state's employment laws, because like in my state of California, Second shooters are employees, period. End of story. No questions asked. Other states, I can argue, maybe, but pretty much around the country, second shooters are employees. Um, and so understanding all of that kind of thing. What are the risks in your state if we call them independent contractors? All of those kinds of things. Um, so all of that. Um, and then, yeah. So basically, we all need to book a call with Kif. So let us know how we can contact you since we need our lawyer on retainer now um, and how people can connect with the work that you're doing outside of this podcast. Yeah. So um, I would say kind of first step is um, on the, um, you know, the if you want to get these five legal tasks done, then I've got a book that's called Legal Roadmap for Your Creative Business. Um, and it's going to walk you through not only doing these tasks, but coming up with a prioritized legal to-do list of things that matter and will help you meet your business goals and what legal tasks are associated with that. So I would say start there. Um, and then, you know, if you need some additional help, then um, the Artist Courtyard, um, I have a membership community where we've got templates and contract templates and resources for you to do all of those DIY things. Um, and then unfortunately, because of how lawyers are licensed, if you're not in California, I can't be your attorney. Um, I can only help as an attorney people directly in California. Um, but there is a great network around the United States um, called the Volunteer Lawyers for the Arts. Um, and it is a um, almost exists in almost all of the states, most of the states were, were good creative populations. Um, and they have um, resources about how to find an attorney in your state. Um, because again, you know, some of the things we talked about, like LLC and employment and some of those kinds of things, you really need someone who understands your state laws, because that's what's going to be applied if there's a situation. Um, and so you do want to find someone local um, for that. So reaching out to your network, um, Another great place to find a lawyer is just going to your local coffee shop. Um, brick and mortars need attorneys way faster than most of us do because they've got employees from day one. Usually they've got leases that they have to review. They've got all kinds of all kinds of liability. And so they usually have at least an attorney they've worked with that is a jumping off point for you um, to find somebody. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for sharing your time and expertise with us. This has been super helpful. And I know our audience is just going to love this. Make sure you go and get Kiffany's book on these five must-do legal tasks. And we cannot wait to see you again soon, Kiffany. Thank you so much for your time. 
Yeah. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of the Dangerous Creatives Podcast. We're so thankful that we can deliver this awesome content to you each week, and we're so thankful for your support and that you keep showing up to listen. If you want to dive in a bit more, we have our membership that is open year-round. We just launched a couple challenges inside of it, the Money Mindset Challenge and the Vision Challenge, and those are things you can walk through at your own pace. They're super fun and um, easy to get through and also really inspiring if you're trying to make moves in your business. We have a monthly call as part of that membership too. So you get to join for a year, have community, jump in with a bunch of creatives and also walk through the curriculum together. So if you want more information on that, you can check out that and all of our other offerings at dangerschool.com. Thanks so much and we'll see you soon. This episode was produced and edited by the lovely Jen Madigan Creative. Music for this episode was written and recorded by Shammy D. Thanks for being part of our Dangerous Creatives podcast community, and we'll see you again next time. Put your hand in your hands together one time. Won't you get